no good deed goes unpunished is all too often true. It was certainly true for Jesus. After healing a man who was lying helpless by the pool of Bethesda, John says the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Well, actually, they sought to kill him because he violated the Sabbath when healing the man. Jesus defended himself by making it clear he had the right to ignore the restrictions they had placed on the Sabbath because he was the very Son of God and that he was, in fact, equal with God. But to make such a claim would be blasphemy of the highest order if it wasn't true. So in his own defense, Jesus offered personal testimony that gave evidence to the fact that he was in every respect equal with God. He stated that he was in perfect union with his heavenly Father and did nothing but his will, his work on earth. He explained how, like his Father, he too was a giver of life and made it clear that he had the power to raise both the physically and the spiritually dead. And he declared that he would now be the one who passed judgment on both the living and the dead. He was, in every respect, equal with God. He and the Father were one, one in essence, in works, and in honor. He offered that personal testimony to verify his right to claim to be the unique, the only begotten Son of God. But he also recognized that without additional testimony, he wouldn't be believed because the Jews would discount his testimony about himself. So he continued with some other witnesses. He says, if I alone bear witness of myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness of me, and I know that the testimony which he bears of me is true. Now, he's not saying his testimony is untrue. Only that they would not accept it as true unless corroborating witnesses supported it. So he went on to say that he had a witness that no one could discount if they would listen to him. Now, he doesn't say who that witness is at this point, but moves to call John as his first witness. He says, you have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. But the witness which I receive is not from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now John the Baptist had given a powerful witness to Jesus. We already looked at it back in the first chapter of John. But we're going to look at it again. And this is the witness of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny. And he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. They then said to him, Who are you? 
so that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. And he remained upon him, and I did not recognize him. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and the Son of God. You couldn't ask for a better human witness. But Jesus had an even higher witness than that. He only mentioned John because he wanted them to really listen to John and to believe that he was indeed the one who could save them from their sins. They had listened to John for a time. They were attracted to his message at first, When he spoke of preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah, they were excited. They longed for the coming of the Messianic age they envisioned. When he started calling upon them to repent, however, they turned away from him. And they eventually disregarded his testimony completely because they didn't like everything that he said. Jesus mentioned John in the hopes that they would reconsider what he had said about him. But he had a greater witness than John, a witness that could be seen in his works. Let's read on. But the witness which I have is greater than that of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. No man could do what Jesus did. His works testified to the fact that he came from God. And when even John had doubts, Jesus had offered his works as proof of his identity. You may recall that when John was in prison, he began to question whether Jesus was the Messiah or not. Now, he had actually seen the Spirit descend on Jesus and had declared him to be the Son of God, but now he was in prison. That certainly didn't square with his vision of the Messianic kingdom. No, he 
was the forerunner of the king. Surely the king wouldn't let the one who announced his coming to languish in prison. So he sent some of his disciples to ask, are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. The things he did answered John's question. Only the Messiah could do what he was doing. The Apostle John also recognized that men could know who Jesus is if they knew of his works. So he began the conclusion to his gospel by writing, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In his gospel, John carefully narrated seven signs, seven attesting miracles that gave witness to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He told of his turning water into wine, of him healing the official's son and the man at Bethsaida. He told how he fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, how he walked on water and enabled Peter to do the same, how he gave sight to a blind man, and how he raised Lazarus from the dead. John knew that the works of Jesus would serve as witness to the fact that he is equal with God, doing God's work on earth. You know, the miracles he performed weren't done to wow an audience. They were signs to verify his claims, to point to the truth about him, that he was the Son of God doing God's work on earth in a highly visible fashion. They were witness to the fact that the Father had sent him, and they demonstrated the fact that the Father himself was a witness to Jesus. And the Father who sent me, he has borne witness of me. You've neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. The primary witness to Jesus, the one he referred to back in verse 32, is the Father himself. He is the one who sent Jesus. He is the one who sent John, the forerunner. He is the one who gave Jesus the works to do that he did on earth. There is one problem, however, with calling on God as a witness. It's impossible to call God to the witness stand. The Jews, therefore, would not be able to see God or actually hear him testify concerning his son, but that's not to say God hadn't spoken or borne witness to his son. He actually did give audible testimony to Jesus on three occasions. At his baptism, when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in the form of a dove, a voice out of the heavens proclaimed, this is my beloved son in whom I 
am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was visited by Moses and Elijah, God testified to the supremacy of his son with the words, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And after Jesus entered Jerusalem that last week of his life, when he expressed a desire to bring glory to his father's name by what he was about to do, God responded with a voice out of heaven that sounded to some like thunder with the words, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. God had spoken audible testimony concerning his son. But there were few who had heard it. All, however, could read it. And that brings us to the final witness, the witness of Scripture. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who he sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that bear witness of me. And you are unwilling to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? In 586 B.C., when Solomon's temple was destroyed and the southern kingdom of Judah was taken into Babylonian captivity, the Jews no longer had a way to offer sacrifices or participate in other temple rituals. So they substituted study of the scriptures as an act of worship. Now, obviously, that is not a bad thing to do. We should faithfully study God's word. But they had come to believe what one famous rabbi expressed. He who has gained for himself the words of the law has gained for himself the life of the world to come. They thought that just knowing the scriptures would give them eternal life. But Jesus makes it clear that that is not true. You can know the scriptures forward and backward and not be saved. You can find intellectual stimulation in Bible knowledge and pride yourself in being able to support your position on any point and not have eternal life. You can even know the original languages and be able to dissect every word of Scripture and still be lost. It's not the Scripture or our mastery of them that give us eternal life. It's the Savior revealed in them and his mastery over us. The scriptures were given to point us to Christ, to enable us to see, to know, and to be saved 
by him. If we miss that, if we're blind to that, we've missed the whole point of scriptures. And the Jewish leaders obviously missed it. They wanted to kill Jesus. He was a threat to them and to their standing in the religious community. They were religious leaders and were happy with a religious system of laws and rituals and the power it gave them over others. They did know the scriptures, but used their knowledge of scripture to glorify themselves. They didn't love God nearly as much as they loved their role as teachers about God. They really weren't concerned about a message of salvation. They were obviously more concerned about regulations than they were about a man being healed and forgiven. And Jesus knew that. He knew their heart and turned his defense into a charge against them. Not that he was the one accusing them. Moses himself testified against their unbelief because he wrote of Christ. He foretold the coming of a prophet like himself who would speak to them all that God commanded. Moses set before them a sacrificial system that looked forward to the coming of a lamb who would be able to take away the sins of the world. Moses showed them that a savior would be lifted up who would be able to save them from the deadly bite of the serpent. But they refused to believe it. And if they wouldn't believe Moses, the one they said they followed, they certainly wouldn't believe Jesus, even if he were to come back from the dead. There's serious warning for us here. We can be very religious even committed to the Bible, and still not be saved. We can know the words of the Bible, but be blind to its message. We can even know the Easter story and not know the resurrected Christ. And all the testimony in the world won't convince us if we're blinded by our sin and we are content to stay in it. But if we're willing to admit our need for a Savior, we can find him revealed in Scripture. Because there is ample testimony to lead us to trust in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and to obey him as our Lord and Savior. Jesus is the Son of God. He is equal with God. He is God in the flesh, come to save us from our sin. Come to live in hearts that have been made clean through faith in his atoning death. That is the testimony of scripture. That is the testimony of the Father. 
That is the testimony of Jesus' works. That is the testimony of the prophets before him. That is the testimony of Jesus himself. Will you believe it? And will you trust him and obey him? If you will, you will find life in the Son of God. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the very essence of God. He's fully God and fully man. And he's the only one who can bring us into relationship with the Father. May we never discount the person of Jesus. May we refuse to allow the world to cloud our thinking about who he was and what he did. Let's accept him as Savior and as Lord. Let's trust him. And let's obey him. Let's stand.